This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to the Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And today our topic is transgenderism, a topic that I would dare say maybe a decade or two ago uh, we wouldn't even have, have brought up, but it certainly has come on the radar screen of our culture these days. And I have two uh, wonderful guests with me um, as we engage on on the topic. Um, I've got Dr. Yoder here. I'm going to treat him with respect. Uh, <laughs> uh, who teaches in systematic theology and teaches ethics, and Dr. Barnes, uh, Gary Barnes, who uh, who is in our counseling department. So we're going to try and wed theology and counseling, which is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think the way to to start here is is that um, how how did you get into this area uh, of work? And I'll begin with you. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So my my background is in both theology and philosophy, um, and uh, my PhD is is in philosophy. And so, teaching um, philosophy courses and ethics courses, um, I think it's it's so it's so significant to uh, to wed those into our Christian worldview. And so I combat it from from the perspective of trying to articulate what a Christian system of ethics looks like how we as Christians should think about deep and important ethical issues in our world. There's an apologetics concern because there's lots of folks in our world that that believe that if um, you know, we don't show the proper love and respect or give the answers that they want, they're just going to write off the Christian faith. And so we're concerned about, about um, holding on to our values but also um, Presenting in a way that that makes the gospel attractive and uh, and displays God in the right way. So so I come I come at this from a perspective of, of ethics and uh, and apologetics. And Yuri, how do you deal? How, how you've been involved in this area for a long time, haven't you? Yes, thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate the chance to be with both of you mm-hmm. here today. So I, I teach in our counseling department here at Dallas Seminary, and that uh, includes pastoral counselors mm-hmm. as well as licensed professional counselors. And uh, when I was a student here myself in the THM degree, I was a systematic theology major okay. and uh, was in ministry uh, as an assistant pastor for seven years and then uh, went and got my doctorate in clinical psychology at Columbia University. And so the I, I love how you mentioned about bringing counseling and theology together, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what we do on a daily basis here uh-huh. in our counseling. <laughs> that's so, right. So this is really a great, uh, great fit for us in the process of uh, teaching and also having a private practice. I began to experience people who were coming to seek services who had needs that were not within my 
previous training mm-hmm. that I had. And so it was kind of so forced me have, back we to didn't the drawing discuss, board. We didn't discuss transgenderism when we were in seminary? That's right. <laughs> I don't recall. I missed that day, I, I think. I, I, think <laughs> I, I think I missed that day, yeah. month, week, and semester. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I, I've yes. continued training and uh, am now also board certified as a sex therapist mm-hmm. as well as um, a licensed psychologist. And so these are all day-to-day issues that we have to work so with. So your practice has been, what, in family ministry and that yes. kind of thing? Is that mm-hmm. basically where you focused your... Marriage and family. Yeah, and you've yeah. been doing this a while? Yes, I have. A few years? Yes. I won't, you aren't going to say yeah. how many? I'll be. Well, I, I've been meeting with people uh, professionally since 1990. Okay. Yeah. Well, a lot of people do the math and they yeah. can put that in, so great. Well, let, let's start at kind of at a, at, a, at a philosophical level, and then I do want to talk a little bit, hopefully, about some of the, uh, of the science and conditions that we deal with and then move to the counseling. That's kind of the way I want to structure this. So. Um, so, so how do you ethically walk into this space? All right. Well, um, so I think that the uh, we begin with the fact that that there are there are people in the world that experience uh, this kind of gender confusion, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what what a Yarhouse calls gender dysphoria. Yeah, dysphoria is not a word I use every day. No. So it's a, but so yeah, confusion. Might I won't be ask good. you to spell it either. Okay, uh, I, lies I, in strange places. You're so compassionate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we begin with with that, right? There are there, and and as as Christians, I think we recognize that it's a reflection of the world in which we live in. We live in a fallen world. It it shouldn't it shouldn't shock us that 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 these kinds of things show up. We live in a world that is fallen. Um, we live under a curse. And so the, uh, there's disorder uh, present in every aspect of our world, um, from human beings to structures to uh, individual actions and, uh, and the whole gamut. And so we, 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 we live in a world in which these things take place. Um, and, then, and then our response is to think through these things and how do we respond? Um, Ethics can be understood in two ways. Uh, there is the, the rules, the do's, the don'ts, the boundaries, the things that we're supposed to do. Um, that's, that's one thing. That's a deontological approach or a deontic approach to ethics. But there's also um, the, 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 the kind of person we are, the virtue approach. What kind of person are we becoming? What is our character? How are we molded and shaped? And it's interesting, I think we see both of those reflected in the scriptures. We, we clearly, there are rules, the Ten Commandments, um, which, are, um, which are repeated um, in the New Testament, uh, except for the Sabbath one. Um, but Jesus is also very concerned with what kind of person we are and how do we respond and, and acting in love. Paul says that the whole thing, res- the, all, the whole law resolves into love. And so I think that, that love, is, love is the priority in Christian ethics, and that gives us an opportunity. How do we display love to people in the situation? Uh, and and unpacking that, I think, is where we go forward in ethics. Well, and, and in fact, it, uh, it, that becomes a particular challenge in certain situations where you might have the issue of what your convictions are, but then thinking through how do I relate to someone either who who doesn't share those convictions mm-hmm. or who who um, is a, is a challenge to the way I think life should be lived, and the or even a challenge to the way we think. Uh, 
God has said lives should be lived. And how we relate to people in that context is an extremely uh, important concern. So that's that, that's a nice quick overview of, mm. of the general approach to ethics. And, and I I like the the uh, contrast between you know kind of the ontological. Here's how you think about this, but then there's the whole relational element right. as well that right. you had that has to come into it, or else right. we can think the right thing in the wrong way mm-hmm. and still be wrong. Speaking the truth in love, yeah, marries those together nicely in a single phrase. Right, exactly. So you have a lot of experience dealing with with these kinds uh, of situations. L- let me begin here because I think um, some people say, well. Gender confusion is just a confusing category to begin with, um, and and how do you, as you think about either counseling or talking to people who face this situation, kind of where do you start in the in the relating part of what we're talking about? Let's let's back up to definition first okay. before we talk about the relating part, because uh, people who would be experiencing gender dysphoria may have some confusion Mm -hmm. about it, but you could have many, many more people who have no confusion about it. Mm -hmm. It's it's not defined based on confusion. Okay. Uh, It's defined based on an experience of incongruence, Mm -hmm. and I could be very, very clear Mm -hmm. about my incongruence of my psychological and emotional sense of my maleness and Mm -hmm. identity not being congruent with my assigned gender or my biological sex. Okay. So uh, I, th- I think just in terms of relating to people, mm-hmm. that's a very good first step, that mm-hmm. we're not mislabeling At their the experience okay. right from the yes. very beginning. Okay, which is something that's easy to slip into. Oh, yes. It? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so – so let's talk about that a little bit. So the so a person comes in and begins to share this incongruence, which I take it is a is a sense of I don't know a disconnect between between who they are biologically and the way in which they respond to what's going on around them. How would you define that incongruence? So um, this kind of drives us back to the cause question. Right. We're, we're, that's where we're going. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, and so this is um, it's a very interesting question at this stage. The, the short answer to that is we don't know. Okay. Okay. But we do know a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not like we don't know anything. Um, what we do know is if we look at normal development – uh, in utero, uh, there's such a thing as homologous development, okay? So I can have in, in utero male and female genitals mm-hmm. that are exactly the same at that particular stage of development. Mm-hmm. So those continue in a pathway of development. Now, simultaneous to that, I also have brain development, Mm -hmm. okay? In normal human development, those things continue to develop congruently with one another. Okay. And so uh, through a process of hormones developing and becoming active in the overall development 
of the human. Uh, then the homologous organs begin to become distinct mm -hmm. as either male or female. Okay, uh, you could say there's development in the brain in normal development that is tracking with in a congruent way the male development and the female development. So congruence here is not um, how I want to say it. It's not a strictly emotive description. There, there's something uh, there's something holistic going on between the body and the person that that brings them in, har in yeah, this is harmony. Like we're talking whole person congruence. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So it does include an emotional right. congruence. But it's not exclusively that. That's the but point. But not exclusively that. Yeah. No. Yeah. So so, so, so go ahead. that's all normal development. Right, right. See? But um, just as was being explained, uh, this side of Eden, mm -hmm. we would say, there are things that are not normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, in a broken, fallen world, mm -hmm. things happen in inconsistent ways with normal expectations. And so in utero, we also have abnormal development. Mm -hmm. What's important about this is to understand that this could be 100 percent independent of personal choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's you. You've got to be able to have a grid, a lens to look through, that takes you away from automatically concluding that anything that is not in the bell curve or normal, we would say, is a result of somebody's choice making. So I'm going to make an analogy. Take a shot at making an analogy. It may not be a good one, but but I'll take a shot at it. Just as there is normal and abnormal development with physical just raw physical characteristics in human being, most babies, you know, are born with two arms and two legs and two fingers and two and t uh, ten fingers and ten toes. So uh, sometimes that doesn't work out. And so in this area that happens to touch on, on sexuality, we get sometimes a similar phenomenon where it doesn't work out the way it would normally work out, and that's what you're calling incongruence. Yes, and, and it can happen at multiple levels. It can happen between our, our sexual biology as we understand it in terms of genitals. Mm -hmm. It can also happen with our gonads. Mm -hmm. It can also happen in our chromosomes. Mm -hmm. Uh, it can also happen in a difference between the brain mm -hmm. and all of those other things. Mm -hmm. uh, we can also have confusion just within the biology itself. Mm -hmm. See, yeah. uh, and so my very first case uh, when I was at NYU Medical in Bellevue Hospital in my clinical internship mm -hmm. is uh, what is referred to now as intersex, hmm. and so that's when a person has a biological anomaly that prevents them from being clearly identified as male or female. Hmm. And in this particular case, the person had both male and female genitals. Hmm. See? So we have all of these possibilities of anomalies that are outside of normal development. Do we have any senses? I mean, this is probably not the best question to ask, but I'm curious. Uh, is one that is curious. I think people, other people would be too. Is do we have any sense of what kind of percentage we're dealing with in terms of um, the percentage of people who have this kind of experience? So, if you look at the most broad term of all, which 
is kind of our umbrella term. We would use transgender. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that's where the expression in my experience of who I am as male and female mm-hmm. is not consistent. It's not congruent mm-hmm. with my assigned gender or my biological sex. Okay. Okay. And if you look at adults, prevalence rates for males tends to be like one out of 11,000. Okay. Uh, and females like one to about 30,000. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So significant difference across across Male gender. And female. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, so so let, me, let me work out some of the, the implications of this. So this means that sometimes what the person is experiencing, this is kind of where you started, is is not a matter of confusion. It's a matter of the way I'm going to say it this way: the way they've been built, or the way they have emerged. It's you. You might say it's a. I could be very, very clear mm-hmm. that things aren't congruent right. for me. That in fact, <laughs> if there's yeah. if that's if there is confusion, that's where it lies. Yeah. Is that it's so clear that it's not clear. Yeah, <laughs> if that that makes sense. Yes. Um, Okay, so what does that mean? Let's let me let me. I'm going to shift to a pastoral question, and then come back. So, what does that mean pastorally when I meet such a person, and I know that my reaction would be, I'd be, I'd be just confused. I'd be the one who'd be confused. That's where the confusion <laughs> usually lies. That's yes. right. <laughs> I, what do I do? I mean, yes. I, I would walk into a situation and go, "Well, this is." This is awkward. I quite don't know what to what to do with this. Right. Um, so, so help me. <laughs> so uh, this is where I think uh, Mark Yarhouse mm-hmm. has really been helpful for mm-hmm. me, and his his book Gender Dysphoria especially uh, explains this well. Uh, although I use some different labels than he uses on this, but he says the very first thing that can be helpful is to have an understanding of the different types of lenses that we look through when we're trying to give understanding and then a response. Mm-hmm. So part of what we have to do is re- is wrestle with our own reaction to what we are confronted with, mm-hmm. whereas what we tend to do is to project onto the person a series of expectations and realities that may may not in fact be what they where they are coming from and yeah. what they're dealing with. So if I'm confused right. and I'm responding out of confusion, right. that's not going to be a good experience for right. the person on the receiving end. Yeah, it's going to be probably a poor experience for everybody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and so uh, as, and this is especially the case when uh, people are wanting to work from a theological grid. Mm-hmm. This it's that's a good news bad news situation. Okay. Right. And so uh, the more I'm unclear about how my theological grid applies to this, the more likely I am to do damage okay. in the process. All right. And so that, that's where I think the three lenses that Mark uh, gives us. So now I'm very, hearing very a Surgeon General's warning that goes something like, be careful how you walk into this space. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Most definitely. Okay. Um, so I, I'm. I, I, I'm not sure whether to turn this way or yeah. that, but uh, uh, so so we've kind of signaled there's an issue here, and I and I think I'm I'm going to ask this question. It's it's kind of a little bit of a 
theodicy-like question. All right. And uh, because I often hear this, and that is, a person will say, "Why should I get?" blamed for the way God made me, or yeah. some some variation of that kind of, of of question or observation. And and then of course that gets translated from the person who meets someone who's transgender as you're not what you ought to be. You know, and, and so uh, and I can I can see that the theological grid in that situation creates a an automatic, and you talk about incongruity. There's mm-hmm. an incongruity there that becomes a barrier in relating to this person totally. if you're not careful. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so let's deal with that okay. part of the question. So, I think um, I think you're right that that many people do. You know, this is the way I've I've been born. Right. Mm-hmm. I've been made this way. And so, how can I be at? How can I be blamed for something? And. Um, but theologically, we're, we 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 go back to the to the basics of the story, right? God made a good world. It's tainted by sin. There is the curse, and we all inherit this condition of sin, just and, in different ways. In different ways, yeah. sure. And and we 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 recognize that we all have various um, trials and and challenges. Uh, burdens that we bear that are different individually. Some people are born with a physical handicap, or 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 acquire one throughout their lives. Other people are prone to um, alcoholism mm-hmm. or um, or to a, a temper or to you know some other condition, depression or schizophrenia or something. You know, there's all kinds of things that people have. Um, all of us have, I think, something that is difficult and that we that we wrestle with, that we struggle with. And um, and we have to deal with that, uh, and and so, you know, I think that that we could could put this into that into that same category that we wrestle with different things. We live in a we live in a fallen world, which means that our responsibilities before God are to 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 bear up under that trial, to recognize that that grace and mercy comes through Christ, um, and and we we we. Uh, we follow through in the situation. So I guess that, that making that observation should create, uh, for lack of a better description, a sense of empathy for, mm-hmm. uh, for where a person might find themselves. Uh, and that rather than issuing a charge against someone, that a place of, to start would be from this place of having some sense of empathy for what it is a person may be facing. Yeah, I think you know one thing that could uh, compel us to love, mm-hmm. love that term, mm-hmm. compelling love, yeah. uh, is to realize how we're all equally in need of it. Mm-hmm. There, there's not one person, I need it as much or more as anybody else. See? Mm-hmm. So it's not like uh, I have this higher ground that I'm standing on, and then when I'm looking at somebody who has some kind of difference from me, uh, I am not responding in love because mm-hmm. of that difference. Mm-hmm. See, we're we're all equally in need of grace and love. So, so there's I, no place that, for condescension. There's no. A, I don't have yeah. a leg to stand on for yeah. condescension. Yeah. See, mm-hmm. um, I'm equally in need of God's grace and love compared to anybody else. And so, if I'm really gripped by that, no matter what the difference is, it, it compels me to move towards that difference. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. 
I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcasts on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. And and, and by moving towards, you're talking about engaging it, but not not in a confrontational kind of way so much as in a in a how do I say it in a in a um, in an under in an understanding and and sympathetic way in in the sense that you're you're appreciating um, where the person is or try, and trying to understand where the person is first. Well, this brings us back to those three lenses. Yeah, so that's right. what that's in any. Exchange. There's going to be one of three outcomes: okay. you move towards, you move against, or you move away. Right. See, these three lenses are the things that set up that kind of a response of right. one of those three things. Mm-hmm. See? So, do you want to talk about the three lenses? Sure, right go now? for it. Okay. Yeah, I think we should. Okay. So, um, the the first one that Mark identifies in the the label that he gives to it is called the integrity lens. Mm-hmm. And so it's rooted in God creating male and creating female to both be image bearers Mm -hmm. of God. And there's a very, very important theological significance in that. And so this is what's referred to as the binary model. Mm -hmm. So you're either created as male or you're created as female. And by God's design, that's a very sacred model because it all points back to him in a very special and unique way. So a male is not a complete image bearer of God. Mm -hmm. A female is not a complete image bearer of God. And we're designed together to reflect the image of God. Very important theologically that we not only see the difference in male and female, but that points us back to a better understanding of the nature of God. Mm -hmm. And the nature of the creation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The whole big the picture. Whole, exactly right. The whole big picture. So, okay. And so the integrity model, theologically speaking, is kind of not only helping me to understand how to think about the world and about each other and about God, mm-hmm. but it's helping me to know how to move in my world. Right. See? And so I would want to be very uh, good steward of the binary model. Mm-hmm. I would not want to like do away with the binary model mm-hmm. because then that has so many other theological implications right. mm-hmm. so that, that I'm doing. See, so that's referred to as the integrity model, okay. the integrity lens, lens that I look through. Okay, that's okay. one down. I take it down. Okay, do three. That means we got so, two to go. Uh, if you go to the other direction, mm-hmm. we have the diversity lens. Mm-hmm. And this could be a lens that is generated by a theological position, or it could just be independent of a theological mm-hmm. position. But what it's saying is there's not a binary model. Hmm. That, that's the main distinction. 
So these are uh, what what you're saying to me. If I'm picking it up, is these are different ways people can look at the same phenomenon and in the process filter what they are seeing in ways that could be either positive or negative. And it's going to shape how they respond. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So it's your worldview. Right. Okay. That directs how you live in the world. So so the, so this is a non the diversity lens is a non-differentiating lens or It's what? a continuum. Okay. Yeah. View. See? Okay. So you could you could have very distinct male and female mm-hmm. uh, or you could you could be really really male or really really female So the alpha male for example yeah. is one edge yeah. of that spectrum. You could be anything in between. Okay. And see and every single one is all equal and valid. Okay. And should be celebrated, not just tolerated. Right. Okay. Right. So that, that's the diversity That's another model. big okay. Now that could be independent of a theological position, or right. it could actually be a part of a theological position right. as well. And and um, as I'm listening to this, I'm going, and that's actually where a lot of people are right. Well, it's the whole direction of our culture today. Yeah. Right. Okay. So two down, one okay. to go. <laughs> so um, the the one that becomes most helpful for me mm-hmm. to have a working model that actually directs how I live in my world mm-hmm. is what I would call the anomaly lens. Mm-hmm. And so what that's saying is there is a very, very important reason to not only identify but preserve the binary model. Mm-hmm. But there's also exceptions to the model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are anomalies. So, so, so that means that, um, that I don't try and shove the anomaly into a binary slot because it's a round peg in a square That's hole. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Okay. See. Yeah. Okay. It it totally directs not only how I have understanding, but how I have a pastoral care, or how I have a counseling approach, or how the body of Christ actually does the one another dynamic as mm-hmm. the body of Christ. Okay. So let me let me ask this question, and I'm not sure who I'm going to direct it to. Maybe I let you both speak to this one. I take it then that the the impact of that for the person who is encountering someone who is uh, experiencing gender dysphoria is um, their first commitment is not to try and fix the person, okay, but to understand the person. Is that is that a helpful distinction to be making? Yes, you're talking about what I would call now two different models okay. of how we work out of our lenses that we're working from. Okay, so, so, take, so we've, we've got the three lenses yeah. out here, and now how am I going to approach this? So a, a common model that people who are limited to the binary model, mm-hmm. okay, so there's good news and bad news about that. The right. good news is we're protecting the sacredness of the model right. of maleness and femaleness. Right. Okay. Uh, the libertine part of that is anytime I'm working with an exception, I'm having to make it fit a binary model. Right. See? So um, 
what I tend to do is say, okay, I need to get you to fit the model uh-huh. in order for you to belong with us. Mm-hmm. See? Mm-hmm. And so if the person doesn't fit the model, then they can't belong. Mm-hmm. That's not good. Yeah. <laughs> That's not good. I've immediately marginalized. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And if um, if I'm even if I'm saying, well, maybe this takes time. Okay, come be with us. But the we'll know that we have success here when you no longer have gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. When when you can say, now I feel congruent mm-hmm. in being male or female. Okay, again, I'm going to take a shot at an analogy, and I'm really nervous about this one. But I, <laughs> but I, I think that sometimes working with analogies that work or don't work might help us. How much is this like a person who says, I am an alcoholic. I mean, I know I have this tendency, and I, I'm, I'm never going to be able to get rid of, if I take a drink, I'm in trouble. Um, and uh, and so, as is commonly the case, a person will say, "I am an alcoholic, but I but I haven't had a drink in so long because that's how I have to live with what yeah. what with who I am." Um, good analogy, bad analogy, uh, uh, clouded analogy. I, I think you might lose more than you gain with it. Okay, on that explain one. that because I because I think that's what a lot of people how a lot of people might process yeah. some of what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, if, if somebody's going with the alcoholic analogy, they may say, look, the thing that's disrupting how you think about yourself mm-hmm. and how you live out your life mm-hmm. is that you're stuck in a pattern of being changed by alcohol. Mm-hmm. And once you live a life of sobriety where mm-hmm. you're no longer experiencing alcohol, mm-hmm. you can live life normally. And you're saying gender dysphoria is not like that. That's not like that. Okay. Got it. So um, uh, okay, so 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 we've said rather than trying to think about how to fix this, if I can say it that way, we're better mm-hmm. off trying to understand what it is. And we're being and I'm spending a lot of time focusing on how we react to someone who is there, but we also need to have the discussion about how the person who's in this situation as well. I don't want to forget that. Right. Um, so, so what advice would you give to the person who's working to move towards and to understand uh, what this condition means for the person that yeah, they're interacting with? Yeah, I think with? that's a great question. And so I've been trying to think about this for mm-hmm. a while yeah. and getting input from others. I think if, if we all could keep in mind four points. Mm-hmm regarding the how then shall we live right. in this broken, fallen world right. with one another as broken, fallen people. Okay, mm-hmm. I would say as it specifically relates to gender dysphoria, your, your first most helpful thing is to release a rigid binary model mm-hmm. and be able to hold on to it but still embrace exceptions okay. to it. Yeah. So now the exceptions are real. Yeah, there's got to be and the, messiness. And, 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 and in the midst of the, and in the midst of that, say, okay, uh, we're we're in, we're in a different category. Yeah, it doesn't all fit right. the ideal blueprint right. that we had right. because we're on this side of the fall. Now. Okay, all right. Okay, okay. So, th- 
So you, you have a model where you're not compromising the significance, the sacredness, the importance theologically of the binary model, mm-hmm. okay? But you're also open, you're embracing exceptions to that. You're, you're dealing, if I can say it this way, pretty rawly, you're dealing with the reality. The real you're, world. The, you're, you're, the, the cards being. you've been dealt. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, the second point I would say is more of an attitude shift. Okay. The first is more of a cognitive core belief shift. And this is shifting to our people rather than those people. Okay, so doing away with the us and, uh, us and them. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's huge. Okay. That's a really major shift. I think can even be bigger than the first shift. And, and part of the moving towards is embracing this person as a human being. Yes. They are also created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. 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 They are a full value, a full worth, okay? Mm-hmm. Not less than, mm-hmm. okay? They have. They have a different anomaly that they're working with that puts them outside of the bell curve of normal. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that does not mean they're not created in the image. And the hard part of that is, is that in, it, it, relationally and otherwise, that increases the pressure of the way of the conditions they live under, because in many cases that can be transparent that that's going on that they are an yes. anomaly. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay, so that's two. So that's two. Uh, the other, the third one, I would say is um, it's a response. So we got the cognitive, mm-hmm. we got the attitude, mm-hmm. then we got the response, and that's a response of journeying with. Mm-hmm. See, and and the idea here is, hey, we all are in a journey. You have a unique journey. And a really important part of your unique journey is that we are journeying together with you in this unique journey. Okay. Okay. And this is the one another dynamic of the body of Christ if a person's already in the family of God. And and if they're not, then we want to be able to still move towards them regardless of that. Mm-hmm. So, so it's still a journeying with uh, in, in either way. Okay, and the fourth? And the fourth is journeying together. And and so this is an idea that emphasizes the mutuality of us serving one another, and it's not just a one-directional serving, see? So the body of Christ needs the anomalies in the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. so the Hmm. body of Christ can more fully be the body of Christ. Because our calling is to minister grace in the midst of a fallen world and to display the the goodness and graciousness of God towards people in a way of drawing them into a, a into a healthier place than where they were without God. Yes, but I have to also add to that and in my journey of growing my identity in Christ, I need the full anomalies in the body of Christ to better do that. To better to better engage so, and serve. So it's not like you need me, right. I need you. Right. There's a, uh, that's the mutuality. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So um, so what do you think? <laughs> well, I, uh, I, uh, I agree. I, um, one of the lines from, from Tim Keller that I, I really like from his uh, his first book, The Reason for God, is he talked about the church. The church is a hospital 
for people to to get better and not a museum where where the perfect saints are on display. And if we can think about this as a place where we are growing together, um, that would be great. I, I would love to see the church to be a place where people that experience this issue and others can can feel safe. Too often in our yes. culture, people feel that they're going to be judged. Um, one of the things that I, distinction that Yarhouse makes that I really liked is he talked about treating uh, or, or yes, interacting with people as individuals that that suffer gender dysphoria and not treating them as a symbol or, or making them you know the symbol for all that's going wrong in our society, mm-hmm. right? You know the the A you know on on uh, Hester Prem's uh, blouse, right? That she's the adulteress and not an individual, right? Uh, we need to. To treat people, uh, Christian Christian ethics, I think, compels us to to interact with people as as individuals, a person for whom Jesus died. Yes. Um, now we do have to wrestle with the the issues, right? And and the the fact that that um, that there is a standard, right? That 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 God created. There's there's a standard for sexuality. There's a standard for for who we are. But um, but I really like what what you said. Gary, about the fact that the, the binary model has to allow for some for some for some fuzziness, right? As a philosopher who comes from <laughs> the Aristotelian tradition, right? It's it's A or not A, it's X, or, you know. But but that that rigid kind of inner out principle of non contradiction um, needs needs to be updated a little bit to recognize that there is there there just are. Folks, right? Whether it's with the the intersex condition you described, or mm-hmm. an extra chromosome, or something that 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 don't just naturally fit into that situation. And if we can uh, allow for that, um, and wrestle with it, and recognize it as part of the reality of the world we live in, then we're going to take a, a major step, I think, towards towards really loving people, and not um, and not dismissing them or, or marginalizing them. Yes. Um, I've got two places I want to go, and I know I only have time for one of them. <laughs> so, um, so let me let me let me ask it this way. Um, one of the things that happens as a result of this conversation is the impact it has on how people view the area in general. And what I have in mind here is is that there are people, if I can say it this way, there are people who have. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it this way. I may say it sloppily. There are people who have real incongruence. Okay, uh, they, they are dealing with something that's really, really real. But because we have we have raised this issue to such attention, people, particularly younger people, are drawn into a conversation where they may be drawn into thinking that they may be something that they may not actually be. Mm. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Um. And particularly if this is young people, teenagers or very even younger, uh, and this shows up for a parent, that, that's like a huge curveball. Yeah. Um, yeah. What uh, I think this is a natural place to go because I think the more we mm-hmm. see this, the more we're going to see this kind of side side collateral, if I can say it that yes, way, about yes. the discussion. Um, what advice do you have for that kind of a situation? That's a really great question. Um, I'll. Do a quick response. Okay. First, if we just look at it statistically, mm-hmm. okay, if you're the numbers I gave were about adults, before, right? But if you look at adolescents, mm-hmm. okay, so in male adolescents, there's what we call a persistence rate. Mm-hmm. 
two to 30% would persist in a direction of being gender dysphoric, okay. or ex- continuing to experience the incongruence. Okay. Okay. Whereas in females, it tends to range from 12 to 50%. Mm-hmm. See? So the <clears throat> fact that your young adolescent is struggling with gender dysphoria right now does not mean necessarily in fact, statistically, the odds are against, against them continuing to have that experience. So they can have on. feelings of gender dysphoria without being gender dysphoric, if I can say it that way. Well, in the moment, it is. Yeah. But the the fact that that predicts the persistence of that is not true. Okay. 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 But the other point that's really important is my my third point of journeying with. Okay. See. Mm-hmm. And so that's being able to be with not only the adolescent but the families during this process to accept it as a process even though we don't know what the outcome of it will be. Okay. So I seem to remember in the back of my head – now, I'm, it's been a while since I've read Yar House – but I seem to remember that he has three categories of reaction to these kinds of situations that he says when he talks to parents or people who encounter this, they need to process so they don't immediately jump to the wrong conclusion. Yes. Yes. Um, so um, elaborate on that on that so, a little bit. So as it specifically relates to gender dysphoria, you would want to take the least radical strategy mm-hmm. as you're going through this time period. And by which you mean the least radical conclusion about what's going on, or, or, or is that a or part of it? Or even responding to trying to get rid of the dysphoria. Well, that, yeah, so, okay, so that's what I mean. So you hormonal don't jump, treatments yeah. and surgery reassignments, yeah, yeah. see, you're saying let's hold off don't on get those ahead of kinds the game. of things. Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, we're not really sure what the direction of this is going to be. Mm-hmm. And we're not trying to force it into a binary model mm-hmm. because we don't know, you know, if we got to discover and understand yeah. first. So maybe we can be a little more flexible in our acceptance of your dressing patterns mm-hmm. right now or names that you want to go by as nicknames might be more gender neutral names, mm-hmm. okay? We might raise our tolerance level for that. While you're, so we're not forcing it into a binary model mm-hmm. at this early stage, but we're also not making conclusions that right now, just because you're experiencing this dysphoria, we aren't accepting that that's the conclusion either. Yeah, so we're okay. not going to jump the gun and try to, you know, get you further down that path. Right, right. Because statistically, it's less likely that you will be. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, um, obvious. Our our time is gone. Um, and obviously, we've just only mm-hmm. gotten started in the conversation. But hopefully, what we've tried to do is to lay out some some elements of how this works. We still need to have another conversation, I think, on we, – we spent a lot of time dealing with how you respond to this and not talking about the person who's, who finds themselves in the midst of it, which is a whole other conversation. Yes. Um, and uh, and and so I guess what I'm saying to you guys is I may invite you back <laughs> to do a part two. But but this is I think this has been a good opening, and it certainly is. I, I, I'm trusting that people have found the conversation um, um, almost defining. 
for uh, thinking through how they even begin to approach mm-hmm. an area that, generally speaking, we've said so little about and oftentimes don't understand very well. Uh, to be able to have some sense about about how to go and and I think the message has been uh, walk carefully, walk sensitively, uh, don't be too quick to judge. It's kind of that uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, mm-hmm. and slow to anger mode that you need to be in when you when you walk into this space. So I thank you guys for helping us. Thank you, thank you, and I thank you for being a part of the table. And I hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.